We'll find Philippians chapter 3 in your Bible this morning. We will be there the whole time together. Philippians 3, we are in the second part, the second week of our series called Share. The stories we tell matter. Last week we started this series with a challenge to share our faith story. The Apostle Paul, we looked, at, we looked at Acts 22 where he used his personal testimony, his personal experience with the gospel, with Jesus, to share about what Jesus had done in his life with others. And from that study in Acts 22, we were challenged to share who we were without Jesus. Just as that song so clearly communicates for us that we just sang, that, that there was, where would we be? Where would you be in this very moment without Jesus? Have you thought about that lately? Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's, it's a sobering feeling. It's a sobering question to ask. But who were you before Jesus saved you? We all have a pre-Jesus history. So what's yours? Then we were challenged to share how Jesus got our attention. It might not have been a blinding light like Paul experienced on the road to Damascus, but maybe it was something significant. Maybe it was a really hard season in life where everything was falling apart. Maybe it was the death of a loved one or the loss of a marriage. It could have been a difficult uh, season financially. It could have been a shameful, regretful experience or just simply a, a, a need for rescue. That you felt like something was off and you knew there was something out there that was bigger than what you were experiencing. No matter what it was, Jesus got your attention and because he got your attention, you have never been the same. And we were all reminded that we are all called to share the story. As Christians, we have all been called and commanded to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our individual stories, they have a place in the storyline. That when our story points to Jesus, it matters. So what's your story? And are you telling a story that matters? So that brings us to the second part of this series sharing the gospel, the hope we have, from a position of passion. Maybe your lack of passion for the gospel is linked to a, maybe it's, it's a passion issue with Jesus himself. If we want to have a passion for the gospel, we are going to need a passion for him. That you cannot have a passion for the gospel if you're not passionate about the person that the gospel is truly all about. And that is the person of Jesus. So what are you passionate about? Is it school? Maybe it's your career. Maybe you're passionate about a sport you play or one you follow. Or maybe it's a hobby. Or it's a certain relationship in your life. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse. Is it the acquisition of money and possessions or the pursuit of your dreams? We all have things that we are passionate about. And most of the time, those are good things. All of those things that I just listed, they're not necessarily bad things. But passion for what we do is very important. Without passion, you won't truly enjoy what you are doing. Listen, if you're not interested 
in money, then, then banking's probably not the industry for you. Or if you don't like to get dirty, you should probably stay out of the construction business. And if the sight of blood makes you pass out like a few members of our staff, it's possible that nursing is for someone else as well. But passion for those things can result in a satisfying life and even a satisfying career. I mean, just think of your reaction at uh, like if you go to a football game, just think of your reaction when your team wins after that really hard fight and they, le- they win at the very last minute of the game. Like just think of how you feel in that moment, those cheers, that celebration, that's what passion looks like. But what about spiritual things? What are your passion levels when it comes to your faith? What about Jesus and his gospel. At the heart level, do you have, do we have, do I have a passion for Jesus? So we're going to look at a set of verses from Paul's letter to a group of Christians in the city of Philippi. And at the time, Paul was in Rome in prison. And what history tells us about uh, Roman prisons doesn't sound like it would be a nice experience. Yet, if you read the, the letter to the church in Philippi, you're going to see that it is just filled with this theme of joy. That joy is just, it's, it's in the fabric of this letter. Paul was overwhelmed by the generosity of these people toward him and their partnership in the gospel. But he wanted them to know something more. He wanted them to know something bigger. That what fueled him to endure all that he had gone through as a minister of the gospel? What was fueling all that he was doing? Why was he so passionate about Jesus? Why didn't Paul ever give up? And why would this church, why would we, his, these, the, the reader of this text today, why would we need to have and what would we need to have in order to endure all that would be in our future? What would be in their future? And it's simple, it was just Christ. Less of us, less of me, and more of him. And that message would never change. That message has not changed from this time in history when Paul penned these words to this very moment in history. And if the Lord tarries is coming, the same words that we read this morning will be just as important a hundred years from now. That was a real message. And there are several very important theological terms that are packed into this small section, so be ready to take some notes this morning. But we're going to start begin. We're going to start begin. We're going to begin reading together with verse 7 here in Philippians 3. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Pause for a minute here. That gain, this gain that Paul mentions here is, is important to understand a little bit of the background. See, the, he had just taken on a group of people known as the Judaizers. And these were proud people, and they had, they, had made, they had made faith a big game. And Paul showed them how wrong they were. They'd been trying to convince the Gentiles who had come to faith in Christ that there was a little bit more than just the gospel. There was a little more than just confessing Jesus Christ as Lord that was required to be truly saved. 
They were trying to convince them that that circumcision was, was needed in order to be completely saved, which was a false teaching. And so Paul sets them straight. And although he could have boasted about that, he could have, he could have been super cocky about that. He could have let that cause his head to swell just a little bit. He says that that gain meant nothing to him. He counted it as, as all loss in comparison to what Christ has done. Verse 8, he continues with this language of loss. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So Paul, he continues with this, with this language that all of these accomplishments, all of the accomplishments in his life are worth nothing. Now, this is, this is a big statement for a guy like Paul because he was a very educated man. He knew the first five books of the Old Testament by, he had them memorized. He was a smart guy. He had a lot to lose in that statement. But he equates all that he had, all that he knew, all that he had experienced as garbage. Or literally in the Greek, it means excrement. That everything is worthless compared to simply knowing Jesus. That's a statement that should cause all of us to pause for just a minute and think, is that our heart? As I was studying for this message, I shared with some of the staff this week, this idea of having a passion for Jesus that is to that level was kind of saddening in my heart because I don't know, I don't know how I would answer that question most of the time. But that's how he viewed all of these things, all of these accomplishments in comparison to just knowing Christ. That's passion. Our relationship with Christ, as you've heard so many times, should be the most valuable thing to us on this planet. And that relationship should be our highest goal. But is it? You see, if we don't have a passion for Jesus, we will never have a passion for the gospel or for his way of living. So how do we get to know him better? And there's several ways we can answer this question, but the first place to start is simply by studying the life of Jesus. How did Jesus live? What did Jesus do? Where did Jesus go? How did he love and how did he serve people? The next way to know him better is to read how all the other Christians that we, we know in the past grew to know him better, like we're doing right now with Paul and all the other writers of our New Testament letters, and maybe read some biographies of Christians who have lived long before us. Study every reference about Christ that you can find in the Bible. And the third way to know him better is to allow his spirit to simply do his work inside of you. The Spirit of Christ can lead you to and remind you of Christ's words and his wisdom. 
And don't forget, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit is our helper. We have access to him as believers. If we identify in ourselves that we don't have a passion about our faith, or if we want to have more passion, we can ask him. We can ask the helper to help us with a lack of passion. There's no shame in recognizing and wanting to change, but we should feel ashamed when we recognize it and don't make an effort toward improving it. But to do these few things, we're gonna need, need to change how we think and how we live. So the question that I wanna ask you this morning is simple. Are you, are we willing to get to know him better? To have a, a deeper passion for him? It will require you to rethink your values, that's for sure. You may need to rearrange your schedule. The plans and the goals you have could possibly need a refocus. It's possible that you'll, you're going to need to conform and mold those plans to the plans of Christ. But Paul says that no matter what gain you might have, Christ is better and Christ will always be better. So do you believe that today? Do you believe that Christ is better than anything else in this world? Any amount of money in your bank, any possession that you have, your relationships, your job, your career, your, your, your skills, your talents. I mean, really think about that this morning. Do you believe that Christ is and will always be enough? Do I? It may not mean the same thing to us, but these people in this city in Philippi, the words that we see next in verse 9, they were a big challenge for them. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. No one can become right with God by keeping all of the rules and being disciplined or simply just being more religious. You, you can't earn a right position with him. You see, being in right standing or a righteous position before Christ can only come from God. This is called the doctrine of justification, and justification is simply an act of God where he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in him and him alone. We get that. We are justified by trusting in Christ alone to save us. Paul says he is willing to give it all up. He's willing to give up friendships and status and wealth and family, and he's even willing to give up his freedom to know Christ more. Now, we know Paul still had friends. We know that he still held a position in the church. He had earthly possessions, but he considered those things trash in comparison to Jesus. And I think we can all have the same focus. And we can all take that same perspective today. But it's going to cost us something. We have to be willing to give things up. You see, when we're saved, we are united with Christ. We experience the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead. And that's something that should ignite passion in us. Verse 10, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's a big statement. Really what this is, is this is sanctification. This is the process of becoming more like him. The same power in us is the same power that Paul had. It's the same power that Christ had, and it will help us. In verse 11, Paul says something kind of confusing. Scholars write about this very often, but he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, this was not a message of doubt. Paul is not communicating that he is uncertain about his future. He was simply stating that he is He's sure that he's going to meet God one way or another. He just doesn't know how he's going to meet God. Listen to how the the New Living Translation words this. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. There was no doubt in Paul's mind whatsoever that he was going to be raised from this life to the next. That's glorification, that we will see Christ in the end, and we anticipate that day as Christ's followers. And won't that be an awesome day, by the way? I'm looking forward to that day. And on that day, I pray that I am found with this same focus. I pray that I am found with this same passion that Paul has. So now we're going to move on here to our focus verses this morning, starting with verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So coming out of verse 11, he is declaring that that he isn't finished yet. That he's still here on earth and until he's gone, he has work to do. So he presses on and he makes this thing his own. He has a purpose He has a focus. He has a direction. And we need the same focus, purpose, and direction. That if we want to share him with passion, we have to follow him with passion. So pursue Jesus with passion. You see, passionate believers, they make a difference. Paul's goal, his, his passion is to know Jesus and to become like him. You see, Jesus isn't boring. Following him isn't lame. It's exciting. It truly is. When you truly follow him and give yourself to him, the things that you get to see and experience and know are simply, there's nothing that compares to it. But when we run after other things with more passion, we can often become cold and lifeless in our pursuit of Christ. And so maybe that is a description of you this morning. It certainly described me at different times in my life. And you're safe to admit that here today, by the way. But we don't want you to stay there. Don't stay that way. We want God to move in your heart and he wants to work in you. Will you receive that? One of my favorite moments from last Sunday, I love baptism Sundays, it's exciting, but one of my favorite moments 
was when little Amelia was getting baptized and Pastor Eric asked her why she wanted to be baptized and she simply said, because I've asked Jesus into my heart and I love him. Like how many of us feel that same passion and love for the Savior today? I hope she never loses that. She'll struggle with it just like everyone else. But I hope she always keeps that passion for Jesus. But we have to be warned. It isn't easy. Growing to look like him is not a Sunday drive. It's work. It's hard. And trials sanctify us. And they cause us to look more like Jesus. So be ready for hard times. It will take desire and passion. If we want to share him with passion, we have to follow him with passion. There's a a description of this in 1 Corinthians 9, this idea of what it looks like to pursue him with focus and passion. And Paul writes this, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not, Paul says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for that prize. Can you hear that passion in his hand as as these words are being written out? There's no mindless just boxing into into the air. There's no running aimlessly without purpose. Run, be disciplined, and have self control. This is how Paul kept himself motivated to do this work that Christ had called him to do. So don't let anything take your eyes off of the goal of knowing and pursuing Jesus. The visual that Paul is giving us is that of an athlete. We see this several times in his writings. But if you ever watch an athlete who is dedicated and they're training, it's impressive. They are extremely focused individuals. And that's the picture that Paul is painting for us in this text. We put everything to the side that hinders or keeps us from competing. We see something similar in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The text is clear that we must hold everything we have loosely and we also must be willing to lay aside anything that keeps us from running this race. Whether that be some type of weight or even sin. So what are those things for you? What's something that's weighing you down? What is a sin that, is, that has you entangled? What is that heavy thing that keeps you down? Is there a sin that's kind of taken up residence in your heart and your mind? 
the challenge from Paul and from the writer of Hebrews is lay those things aside. Get rid of them. Fix your eyes on Christ. You see, the Christian life, it needs to be, it must be lived with passion. So live and share that passion. That's what Paul and the writers of Hebrews are saying to us today. Pursue Jesus with passion. If we want to share him with passion, we have to follow him with passion. A passion for Christ requires a passionate walk with him. And then the challenge is simple. Look ahead and forget the past. That's, that's not easy. This race that we're in, it requires passion but the past can sometimes steal that passion. It requires us to forget and to reach and strain forward, to strain ahead, to reach for something bigger. And that's what we see in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, this one thing Paul says he's going to do, He's going to forget, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When running a race, it's never a wise thing to look behind you. I don't know that because I don't race, but I've read that. <laughs> if I'm running, something's chasing me and I'm trying to outrun my wife. So that's what running is. But if you, if you look behind you, if you look behind you, you could possibly get distracted. You can't see the obstacles that are in front of you. You can't see what could get you tripped up. You could lose momentum and then you could fall. And for the Christian, we have to forget what lies behind. We have to press on to what lies ahead and we have to pursue Jesus with passion. That Greek word for forgetting here in verse 13, it means to care nothing about or to neglect. It's not just, oh, I just forgot. It's I'm choosing to neglect this race that I'm called to be a part of. You see, Satan, the enemy of God, I believe he's real and I believe he's active. He would want you to focus this morning on your past. He would want you to, to, to think about all of the mistakes that you've made and all the stuff that you could have done better. He would love for you to place too high a value on what is behind you. But that's not a good plan for a passionate focus. You see, the decisions of your, your past, they will certainly have an effect on your life, either for good or for bad but we can't give those things power over us. Your future doesn't have to be determined by your past. Maybe you had an awful childhood and maybe you made some, some bad mistakes because of what you experienced and, and you've likely already received the consequences for those decisions, but they don't have to determine the rest of your life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually more powerful than your past. There is actual victory in Jesus. Think about Paul. We talked about this last week. His past was the worst of the worst. That's what he says about himself. 
But we don't see him writing about his past holding him back. Now, you do see in the book of Acts where there's a group of people who are initially scared of him because of his past. But you just won't find that he's dwelling on his past or that it's keeping him from doing the work that Christ has called him to do. He simply forgets it and he presses on. He keeps running toward this high calling, this prize. And I believe, I truly do believe that we can do the same thing. And this is just one of the reasons why the gospel is actually good news. Because Jesus really can change things. So let's follow Paul's lead. Let's look ahead and forget the past. Every Christian has failed at some point, been a bad employee. Have you been a terrible spouse ever? Maybe you've been selfish. Have you lied? Have you been a lazy parent? Have you just been a simple jerk and lazy? Or have you lusted? Have you gossiped about someone, just simply been apathetic about your faith? Repent. Get rid of that sin and ask God to help you remove distractions and ask him to inspire more passion inside of you and do your part to follow his lead. Our Bibles are full of people who were failures. So let's look ahead and forget the past. So what about you? Are things from your past keeping you from looking to what's ahead? Are you clinging this morning to some heavy sin or something just heavy on your heart? Are those things stealing your joy? Are they stealing your passion? Do you want more of Jesus today? Are you pursuing him with passion? Are you passionately sharing the hope that you have, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with others? Or is your lack of passion affecting your willingness to share? Because if we want to share Jesus with passion, we have to follow him with passion. I believe Jesus can change us. I believe he can continually change our church. So let's grow in becoming people who have a deep passion to know Christ more and more. And may we be a church that has an abundance of passion to share. May we never lose the wonder of the gospel. And may we never lose the passion that we have for him. So maybe this morning, you're lacking some passion. What will you do? Will you make a decision this morning to pursue him with passion? Will you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to ignite inside of you a passion to know him more and to serve his cause in this world? Because the stories we tell matter. Will your story be one that is passionately following and pursuing Jesus. I hope it is. Don't miss next week as we continue this series on sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for this opportunity this morning to gather together. God, I pray that we would be a people of passion for you, 
that we would pursue you with passion, that we would forget the past and we would look ahead at the future and the work that you're doing in us and through us. Lord, may our church, may we be a group of people who are passionate about you, passionate about your gospel and taking that gospel to a lost and dying world, a a people who are far from you. May we be passionate about our Savior and passionate about sharing that message and that hope that we have. We're thankful for Jesus, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.